Good morning. Another fine musical selection from Behind the Glass, Jerry. Who's this? That's the Minders. The Minders, of course. My 13,000th favorite band of all time. <laughs> Sounds like a good song, though. So, well done, man. Well done. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Brett McGarry. Morning. Tuesday. Does it have a feeling today? Um, It's the first day of a particular season. Yeah, so maybe that'll put some spring in your step today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what uh, the global... Senior meteorologist Anthony Farnell calls it. What does he call it? He calls it sprinter because he describes this as the the season between winter and spring. Because even though it's the first day of spring for a lot of us, it's not quite going to feel like spring for most of Canada. Yeah, winter does tend to sprinter. Drag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Well done, Anthony. Actually, you know what? If you'll indulge me for a moment, I have his forecast here for much of Canada for spring. Let's see what he has to say about Winnipeg and the, the prairies. Wouldn't this be nice? The sun shining, flowers in full bloom, leaves out on the trees. That's what many of us think of when we think of spring. But in reality, we have a battle between winter and spring. And it's this in-between season that I like to call sprinter and that in between is going to be a drawn out month for much of the country as we're dealing with blocking up over the north pole and that's sending a lot of arctic air further south than normal we've seen it in late march and we're going to see it through much of april below normal temperatures centered in the prairies and extending into the great lakes we're also seeing storminess on the BC coastline. That eventually is going to lead to drier conditions in May and June. And as we talk about precipitation near normal through the prairies, this coming after the wettest winter in 46 years for Calgary. So all right, I think that's enough. He's, uh, <laughs> who cares about Ontario? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so for the prairies, he's expecting it to be a bit cooler than normal for uh, Manitoba. He says, on the other hand, much of Saskatchewan and Manitoba have below normal snowpack, so the wet and cool spring will be welcome news for farmers. And a significant flood, flood season, of course, not expected this year for Manitoba. Now I'm looking at this blob of below normal weather. He says it's centered in Western Canada over the over the prairies. It, you know, Anthony might be good at weather, but I don't think he's good at math. Yeah. Because if you take a compass, you'd probably drop it right on Thunder Bay. That would be dead center of this below normal area. And Thunder Bay, I think, if my geography is as good as my math, is in northwestern Ontario. <laughs> Yes. So, Anthony, please, it's not our fault. We're just joining you. I know Misery loves company, but uh, this is not our fault. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just part of this weather system that's, uh, that's stagnating in this area of below normal temperature. Well, what are you going to do? And you see where it's above normal? All across the north, all across the Arctic, northern Quebec, Nunavut, uh, right to the North Pole, near normal in uh, northern British Columbia, Yukon, Alaska, etc. And then look at uh, California, above normal. Again, that, that can't be good. That can't be good for California. I hope we don't have a, a fire season like we had uh, last year for our friends in California. They're all also calling for below normal precipitation in that part of North America. So lots of things to keep our eyes on. So happy first day of spring. Is it, a, pardon me, is it 11.15 our time? Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, uh, the, the equinox 
prices at 11.15 our time this morning. Just looking at the long-term forecast according to the Weather Network, which of course is wildly subject to change. But it basically looks like the highest we'll see in the next two weeks will be three degrees. What? And that will be... Thursday and Friday, and then after that, it's zero one zero one zero one zero two. So mm-hmm. sprinter, it is. Yes, Farnell wins. Hey, just uh, before I forget to mention this, I'm, I'm just going to quickly mention this. So we can move on because I know this is something that behind the glass Jerry likes. We just got a news release from the Park Theater on Osborne, and they they say that they're going to have some three great movie events coming soon to the Park Theatre. One of them is Phantom of the Paradise, which is cool. Uh, that is going to be... A, uh, that's actually... Oh, my goodness, that's tonight. And then the second one... Well, there's Moulin Rouge, a sing-along Moulin Rouge, so that's cool. That's in May. But the one for Jerry is Thursday, Tuesday, April 3rd, Evil Dead 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it starts at 8 o'clock. How are you going to go to that? Hey, you know what? For Bruce Campbell, I'll stay up. All right. Tickets are 5 bucks in advance and $10 at the door. Um, that, that news release is in our system here, so you can have a look at it if you needed to. But I just I saw it. He lent me Evil Dead 2, so I had to let him know it's there. Well, on that Phantom of the Paradise, it's a sing-along tonight, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. I scrolled past that. That is, uh, I still don't understand that whole Phantom of the Paradise thing. I've not seen it. Have you seen it? Seen it. Is it good? No. <laughs> but it's great all at the same time. No. <laughs> There's just something about it. And just as a Winnipegger, you're obligated to love it because it was just hugely successful in Winnipeg and simply nowhere else. The soundtrack sold more here than it did anywhere else. It was in the theaters for close to two years in Winnipeg. It's uh, just a... An anomaly. It's just a bizarre thing, and uh, we'll have to revisit the legend of the Phantom of the Paradise as it pertains to Winnipeg at some point here. And if they ever stopped playing it here, do you think people would take to the streets and protest no. like they might have in 1984? Or? No, just go buy it on VHS or yeah. DVD, watch it at home. It's a pretty simple solution. <laughs> on VHS? <laughs> sure. You can buy it on Blu-ray. Can you? Yeah. Well, special but- edition. I, I, I special ordered it for my dad. You're so kind. Such a kind son. 612 on 680 CJOB. Still to come this morning at 7.15. We will continue. Win local with 680 CJOB. We will find another qualifier for our grand prize finale event on April 9th at One Great City Brewing Company. And today's qualifier will receive a $50 gift card to One Great City. Also, we have two tickets to Celtic Thunder X at the Burton Cummings Theatre, and that show is on October 24th. And then after 7 o'clock, breakfast with the Bombers a little bit earlier. Typically, it's after the 7.30 news. Today, it's at 7 o'clock. Of course, it's Mark's CFL week. The Kamish yes. is going to be here, and he's bringing someone with him whose last name is Cup, and <laughs> first initial is G. G Cup? I'm, uh, I'm curious to know who that is. Who could it be, Greg? I don't know, but I'm feeling a little restricted today. Oh, why is that? <laughs> I wore my blue bomber jersey today. The bombers would last on the Great Cup in 1990. This is my circa 1990 Winnipeg Blue Bombers game jersey. Perry Tuttle, who was my favorite player when I was a youngster uh, for at least uh, three years. I loved Perry Tuttle more than any other Blue Bomber. I dug this out of the archives so that I could get my picture taken with the Great Cup. But that uh, jersey's a little tight. It's a little tight. Can you breathe? I can breathe. 
Are you wearing a girdle under there? No, it is like a girdle <laughs> itself. I should be wearing this jersey every day underneath all my other clothing, is what I should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> McGarry with you on this Tuesday morning. A new report says Manitoba's colleges must improve their overall graduation rates by 15% the next five years. Global News reporter Christian O'Mell has more on this review of the province's colleges. This review was done by a Toronto-based consulting firm that said that the provincial governments in the past have managed the system poorly, from taking almost a year to approve new programs when it should take 10 days, or having no real guidelines for virtually all the funding given to colleges. This review recommends coming up with goals for the entire college sector as a whole, better collaboration with employers to figure out what jobs are needed right now, and giving programs the ability to be flexible to handle that. Right now, Manitoba doesn't have a funding formula based on enrollments or outcomes, but report co-author Alex Usher says that should change in the future. To achieve goals determined by the province, those goals need to be set expressly, there need to be incentives through a funding formula, you know, that incent them to achieve those goals. Let the institutions manage. Let government steer but not row. Red River College represents the majority of college seats in the province. In a statement, a spokesperson expressed concern with outcome-based funding. Quote, we believe it would require more resources to administer and even more peculiarly would apply to only 28% of the sector. Only colleges, not universities. Manitoba has a post-secondary attainment rate of 62% compared to the national average of 72%. The indigenous rate is 43%, which is also the lowest in the country. Thank you very much, Christian O'Mel. And earlier this morning, Greg, just about 10 minutes ago on Global News Morning, we saw historical footage. I said, what is that from 1984? People marching in the streets on Osborne, wearing signs. What were they uh, protesting? I still can't believe it's from that era, first of all, and that we were so angry when the government brought in seatbelt legislation (laughs) back in 1984. A lot of people saw it as a gigantic infringement on their rights. And maybe some people still see it that way. I know I've had the conversation with certain people who will remain nameless, and they still look back at that and go, well, yeah, you know, I know it's good for me, but it's still, the government should be able to tell me what to do. When it comes to things like that. So I was relaying to you the fact that we used to go to British British Columbia for our summer holidays quite often. My cousins lived in Kelowna or Salmon Arm and BC had the first seatbelt law. And we would literally take our seatbelts off on our way home when we crossed the British Columbia, Alberta border. (laughs) It was just a mindset then. A celebration? Yes. Woo, we're free. (laughs) Free from our oppressors, British Columbia. Fight the power. You fight the power. And I don't, when you're driving in the back seat of a big Pontiac Parisienne, right? I mean, it's like a playground back there. So to be strapped in into one single solitary seat, how are you going to reach across and, you know, take out your take out your brother on the other side of the car? Because he's way over there. If I'm in my seatbelt, I can't even get to him. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. Pontiac Parisienne. What color? Uh, what, what did I think we had a blue one? Ooh. Pontiac Parisienne, Gran Torino. My dad had oh my one God. year. Uh, those weren't super huge in the back seat, but when you're little, right? Yeah, it, they they all seemed big back in the day.
I'm Mackling. He's McGarry. We're here till 10 o'clock. And a top lawyer for the U.S. White House says President Donald Trump is not considering firing Robert Mueller, the special counsel investigating Russian election interference. That's despite a cascade of tweets that revive chatter that Trump may be preparing to get rid of the veteran prosecutor. With more on Trump, we are joined live on 680 CJOB this morning by Global National's Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Jackson, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to both of you. Jackson, we appreciate the time. The notion that Trump could fire Mueller, is that exactly how it would work? Well, it's a little more complicated than that. Essentially, he would have to ask the deputy attorney general, who's the one in charge of overseeing Robert Mueller, to fire the special counsel. If he refuses to do so, he could ask the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, to fire Rod Rosenstein and then appoint somebody new who could fire Robert Mueller. But there's also another question here. Could, uh, in a roundabout way, the president simply fire Jeff Sessions, who has recused himself from anything to do with the Russia probe, appoint a new attorney general who has not recused himself, and then that new attorney general could fire Robert Mueller? The, the, the short of it is, it's a mess. It's not an easy situation. And I think there'd be some pretty serious consequences for the president if he does that. Why does the president want Mueller out? Well, at the end of the day, he doesn't like the fact that this probe has gone deep and wide. In other words, it's not just looking at Russian election interference anymore. It is looking at the financial dealings and uh, interminglings of the president, of his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, of so many other things. And much like the special counsel who was looking at Bill Clinton over real estate dealings back uh, in the day and ended up with Monica Lewinsky, uh, Robert Mueller has the purview to basically go wherever the evidence leads him. And maybe he started out looking at one thing, but maybe it's headed in a different direction now. Lindsey Graham, uh, of course, the South Carolina Republican, uh, is quite prominent in the United States, has been quoted as saying Trump firing Mueller would be, quote, the beginning of the end of his presidency. Is this the popular tone of Republicans in Washington? Well, here's the interesting thing. Yes, you've got Republicans talking like that, but no one is willing to take any sort of action in Congress to legally pass some sort of legislation that would protect the special counsel. In other words, it's all talk, no action right now. And I think the real tell would be if Mueller were fired, what would Republicans actually do? Would they move beyond just talking to do something to try and protect him or try and protect the evidence that he's gathered? Would Mueller have any recourse in the event that actions were taken against him if he was punted? Uh, It's not clear that he would. I mean, he, like everyone else uh, in positions like his, serves at the pleasure of those who hired him and who appointed him. And in this case, uh, right now, he's overseen by that deputy attorney general who, again, serves at the pleasure of the president. So now uh, Donald Trump's hired a new attorney who's uh, spinning the story that this is all a frame-up. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's the reality TV president, and he has just hired a lawyer who spends a lot of time on Fox News talking about how the FBI and uh, Justice Department have this massive conspiracy against him. That's his mindset in all of this. But again, his other lawyers say he has no interest in firing Robert Mueller. So take either of those things with a grain of salt. So if this, if this conversation isn't broad enough and isn't captivating enough, how about the Stormy Daniels situation? Where are we with that, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, this is wild, and this is one of those things that could uh, actually catch the interest of Robert Mueller as well, speaking about that probe expanding. 
so where we're at right now, of course, is the president and his lawyers seeking $20 million in damages from her for defamation. Uh, she has an interview with 60 Minutes that's supposed to air this Sunday that's apparently supposed to have some sort of uh, bombshell uh, evidence or bombshell statements about her involvement with the president. And more interesting than anything, I think, is the fact that the president had denied any involvement with Stormy Daniels, any, had denied that there was this payoff to keep her silent during the election. And yet here he and his lawyers are suing her for defamation. And there are stories of multiple lawyers now within the Trump organization, the president's company, uh, being in contact with Stormy Daniels over this, this settlement, over this non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, and I think I remember one of the lawyers, one of her lawyers saying... The headline on the, the crawl in CNN was uh, Stormy Lawyers to Trump Buckle Up. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, it is just, it's such a mess. It's almost inescapable for the president. And you get into questions like, uh, you know, aside from the sort of tabloidy stuff, but you get into questions of, was election law violated, mm -hmm. for example, by paying somebody to stay silent during the campaign? Where did that money come from? How did the money move around? Uh, who signed what, It's it's got so many facets to it. And I think that's why it's maybe not the number one story in Washington right now, but it's the story that everyone's sort of watching to become number one. Jackson, a buddy of mine and I were speaking yesterday, and we surmised it this way. Is it possible that Donald Trump's lawyers get outlawed on this one? There was conversation that Stormy Daniels was just basically going to fundraise, write a check for that 130 grand, return it to its rightful owner so that she could speak her mind. Yeah, I mean, there's that. There's the fact that uh, the president, who is the other party to this uh, non-disclosure agreement under a, a false name, never actually signed his side of it. It was only signed by his lawyers. So that's one avenue they're pursuing. And then you've got lawyers for BuzzFeed who are working on a different story about the president, but figure maybe they can depose Stormy Daniels and her lawyer as part of that as a way to work around the non-disclosure agreement and get access to her story. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, like try, try staying on top of all this, right? It's, it's absolutely impossible. Brett and I were just looking at each other dumbfounded because uh, where do you go from that? Why don't we just say thank you and uh, we appreciate your time, Jackson. Uh, let's catch up again real soon. My pleasure. Take care. Jackson Prosco, Global Nationals, Washington Bureau Chief, joining us this morning to talk about President Donald Trump and Robert Mueller. Yeah, we are seeing a few flakes outside our window here at 680 CJOB, but uh, fret not. Spring is springing at 11.15 this morning. On my Facebook page, I had a picture come up that I'd posted about four years ago. It was the backyard, and it made me think of summer. So I posted it again this past Sunday and said, hey, I did this four years ago. What are you most looking forward to this summer and spring? And I got all sorts of pictures from friends brighten my day. So we figured, hey, let's have that conversation. Having coffee, Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, and of course, behind the glass, Jerry. And uh, Jeff, what is your favorite part of spring? Just shedding layers as it warms up. Already lost the long johns a month ago, lost the winter coat this week, and oh, can't wait. To, uh, my birthday's in a couple weeks. I don't think we'll get quite to birthday suit weather, but the closer we, we get, the better. Please no. Yeah. Please no. Yeah, hope not. That's just a weekend thing, right? The birthday suit? It's whatever. If it were legal, it'd be all the time. So you, you, wear, the, you wear the long johns from when to when? Uh, from the first chill in October or something until whenever suddenly it's too hot to sit inside with them on. Are you an undershirt guy? Yeah. Yeah, I am too. Undershirt guy, Kelly? No. No? No. 
No, too much uh, muscle there. You don't need, uh, <laughs> okay. don't need an undershirt. <laughs> <laughs> why why ruin two shirts every day when you only have to ruin one? <laughs> Jerry, are you an undershirt guy? Always. Yeah, see, I like it. Shanley Vidal, I won't ask you that question, but how about socks? Like, I'm a, I'm a two-pair of sock guy from basically October straight through until April. It's funny because I have probably about fifty pairs of socks in my in my sock drawer. Yeah, and I like uh, I like you know different kinds of socks, and people give me socks, but I haven't been wearing socks lately. Oh, uh, because I'm I've been wearing tights, and I v- have vowed this winter not to wear pants, and I have not worn pants in uh, many many weeks because I've been wearing gotten away with uh, my tights and skirts and squirts and. No pants. She's the defiant one, Brett. Well, Diana Foxall, too, who moved That's here true. from BC. And we get, we all kept teasing her and saying, oh, just you wait. You're going to regret wearing a skirt. And no, completely defiant. She's got all the bare the legs through. and everything. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> so I think there might be, uh, maybe I don't know. I was going to say, there's, I was going to joke, maybe there's just something wrong with her, but uh, <laughs> she's just tough. She's actually uh, seems to be enjoying her time here in, in Manitoba, but she hasn't spring seen spring yet. So what's like kind of a rite of passage for spring for you, Shanley? Uh, gardening, starting a garden, seeing the grass, the grass come up. And uh, and this year is very exciting because uh, I redid my backyard, put in that parking spot. So I actually covered up my little garden that I had started and transplanted some things. So now I'm excited. I love going to the garden centers and looking at all these neat things that, oh, I didn't know we could get here. Especially if you go early, you're going to you're gonna find all these neat things before they're sold out. And so getting all of these things and attempting to grow grow them and even putting them on my my deck and then uh you know before and trying to keep them alive as best i can yeah do you have a green thumb black thumb somewhere in between uh, yeah. Hmm. yeah it's kind of it's kind of a murky green murky green what's a black thumb like when you just, anything you touch dies. My mom had a black thumb. She could not keep a plant alive. So, uh, you know, vinyl and rubber plants were the kind of the uh, accoutrement de jour in our house growing up. My mom couldn't keep a plant alive to save her life. How about you, uh, Kelly? Well, obviously the Stanley Cup playoffs are a rite of spring that are very important uh, as far as I'm concerned. But also, uh, kind of along, along the same lines as Shanna Lee, I've spent the last couple of years landscaping my backyard to get it to the point where it is ultra low maintenance went to ron paul where they've got it all and have bought a couple of dump load <laughs> uh, dump truck loads of uh, three-quarter cut uh, creek rock so the whole backyard is done in a rockery display i've got the lower 40 a little corner down by the uh, the the fence that borders the park where i go sit and contemplate and uh and, and take care of copious amounts of uh of uh, barley. <laughs> you can leave the b- cultivation of the barley to others, yeah. though. You consume it in liquid form. Exactly. Uh, I like yeah. the way you're thinking. Yeah. That's it very doesn't matter if you have a black or brown thumb. See, for he's, that. Kelly is just being one with nature. I yes, like that. Exactly, I, I was yeah. almost starting to tip back in my chair there. It was very good. You're painting quite the picture. Jerry? Uh, I love sitting on the back deck in the morning with my coffee, just enjoying the sunrise and looking out over my garden. That's, to me, that is when spring has hit. When do you get to do that? You work seven days a week. Um, I get to do that on the off Canada chance day. I might have a day off. <laughs> exactly. Holidays. What about you, Greg? 
Uh, you know, it's a lot of work to get ready for a real spring at my house. Uh, my boys insist that we have the swimming pool open as soon as possible. So once I get the pool filled and clean and the algae that is inevitably grown over the uh, first couple of weeks of spring, as soon as I get that water crystal clear, uh, it might be freezing cold, but if it's crystal clear and a pool is uncovered and, and looks like it's ready to go, that's spring for me. I, 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 I hate the work and the amount of work that it takes, but it's very rewarding because it, it really does kind of set things that's the first step of spring slash summer for us when do the boys go in when it's cold um i i force them to go in because i just threaten to take it down every single year we've got like a use it as a hockey rink uh, yeah it's not good for the liner kelly (laughs) i've thought about it trust me i've thought about it uh yeah i threaten my kids all the time do do you want me to take it down do you want me to take the pool down are they the ones who wanted it up early Oh, no, it's always there. It, oh. it's, it's, it's a big pool. It's a permanent pool, but it's above ground. And so I keep threatening, if you're not going to use it, I'm going to take it down. And I know some of the neighbors are like, take the freaking thing down already. <laughs> Is it heated? Oh, yeah, it's heated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They All the accoutrements are, are there. But uh, anyway, did I manage to use that word twice, twice. in one segment? Yes. I'm scratching it off. Correctly both times when you pronounce it right. Both not, bad, not bad, eh, Bron? Can yeah. you spell yeah. it, though? That's the Absolutely word. Absolutely not. Word of the day calendar or something? McGarry. No. Uh, McGarry. Yes. There's only one word for you. Golf. <laughs> <laughs> Golf. That's it. Golf. The, the obsession is uh, is soon to resume. I've been meaning to to head to the golf dome and then try some uh, virtual golf uh, as well. Get because I just got my clubs regripped and I got new irons, just ready to go. Destroy any golf course that I touch. The look on his face when he talks about golf. Oh, I know. It's <laughs> right? a passion. Could yeah. you could you imagine? Could you imagine like talking about any? Uh, partner in your life with that same fervor and and adoration he just he, he he's like a little kid yeah when i get home, whenever I, I have someone over for the first time i they they look in, into the kitchen and they see my golf clubs there and they say because I don't have anywhere else to put them. And they say, your, your golf clubs, hey? And I say, yeah, and these are my babies. And then, I, <laughs> and then I, show, I show the push cart that I have, and I open it up, and it's like a stroller, basically. <laughs> so I put my babies on the stroller. <laughs> yep. Now the cup holder? Oh, yeah, the there's cup a cup holder. Yeah, 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 you know, on the stroller, we used to call ours the bus because we, for two, right? Right. So you had the cup holder for the Starbucks. I don't think you put the Starbucks on the cup holder on, on your baby carriage. No, I have uh, uh, one of those Yeti. It's a Yeti brand cooler. As cold as, it keeps things as cold as science will allow. And, uh, yeah, there's uh, also some barley that may or may not find its way into the Yeti. So, so we have at least two of the six of us uh, associating spring with barley. Yes. Uh, I'll I'll be the third to uh, endorse that notion as well. <laughs> All right, barley it is. Uh, we got a text here from, I believe it was Nancy, who says, Good morning, it's snowing in North Kildonan. Hi, Nancy. Yeah, it's snowing here at Polo Park as well. So first day of spring starts in just over four hours, and it's snowing, which Winter's I suppose is Winter is trying to get fitting. its money's worth. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about football because the Blue Bombers, spring camp, CFL week, that's a rite of spring. This year in Winnipeg... Look the, out the glass in your door. Your I special know. guest is here. Yeah. The commission is here. Uh, fortunately, he doesn't have the same powers as a lot of commissioners do. He's, I think, uh, without handcuffs, so we should be okay. 
but he's got other silverware with him. Yes, he indeed does. I yeah. just I just took a look out, and I, I was actually blinded by there it is. the light reflecting off of it. It's Super so shiny. shiny. Yeah. Oh, my Oh my gosh. Oh, they're letting Courier carry it. <laughs> Why? John Drogba, That's right. The Grey Cup is here with the CFL Commission. We're going to have a chat about that after Global News at 7 o'clock. With Jeff Braun. Thank you very much, Shannon Lee Vidal, Kelly Moore, behind the glass, Jerry, Jerry and Jeff. It's Macklin McGarry on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. It is time for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. And we're a little bit early for breakfast this week because we have a pair of very special guests. Nine years and some uh, some highs and some lows and, and and tonight the ultimate high being a Great Cup champion with these guys and now we're the king of the hill. It was like an overwhelming feeling that it wasn't just a simple you know victory. You, you just burst into tears just thinking about how much it was going to mean to everybody. You know we have a family picture of us you know with the Great Cup and my dad who grew up an Eskimos fan because they grew up just northeast of of Edmonton and and to, you know he's gone now but. Having won it as an Eskimo was it was especially nice. The Grey Cup, congratulations! You will have the opportunity now to present the Grey Cup trophy to the championship team. What will that moment be like? We'll leave that question dangled just for a moment. The commissioner of the Canadian Football League, former U of M Bison Winnipegger, Randy Ambrosi joins us in studio to kick off CFL week here in Winnipeg. Commissioner, thanks for taking some time so early on this Tuesday morning. Well, this isn't early for Winnipeggers. This is normal time for Winnipeggers. Hard-working uh, group that we are. I, I think you could be right. Uh, amazing to be in the presence of the Grey Cup. Brett, you were awestruck by oh. the, the, the sight of this championship trophy. Well, I know we make jokes about how I'm not a huge sports fan, but, I mean, it's the Grey Cup. It's it's one of the most iconic images in Canadian sport. So, yeah, how can you not get excited about it, especially how how beautiful it is. They won't even let us touch it. Just for, for those listening right now, the, the, the only person who can touch it has a pair of white gloves. And uh, so I dared not touch it. And then I, so I was so cautious with it that I was told, no, you can touch the base, like the bottom of it. And I said, no, I'm just going to keep my hand firmly planted right beside it. Thank you. That's Jeff McWinney is the kind of the keeper of the cup, and he's a Winnipegger. And uh, so, uh, Commissioner, what's it like to bring the CFL week to Winnipeg? Why don't we start there before we uh, progress and talk a little bit about this majestic trophy? Well, it's exciting to be quite simple. I guess, uh, you know, this is all part of a, of a theme now to make sure that we are, you know, football is a 12-month-of-year conversation, that we're in our communities, we're talking football with our fans, we're bringing our greatest players, you know, into these amazing communities where our football teams reside and being part of the narrative 12 months of the year. And this is going to be exciting. You know, we've got 50-plus uh, of our very best players coming through here this week on on Thursday and Friday and give our fans a chance to meet them and see them. I, I couldn't be more excited if I if I wanted to be. It's part of this uh, overall, you know, this this concept that we're talking about making this making football part of the the landscape 12 months a year it's a it's a great time to be in Winnipeg I always said uh, growing up I can see my neighborhood where I grew up I could see the east grandstand of Winnipeg Stadium out of my bedroom window I would sit and kind of imagine being at the games when I wasn't there listen to Bob Irving play call the play-by-play Bob Cameron, I was his paper boy when I was a kid. The list goes on and on. The interactions I had as a kid with Blue Bombers. 
And I think that's been the key. Why I loved football as much as I did was the fact that I could reach out and I could communicate and interact with the players. And here we are some 40 years since I went to my first game and it's still that way. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you never know what moment is going to happen for a kid when they fall in love with the game. You you don't know which player it's going to be, what that what that interaction is going to be, but there is for so many a moment that they can point to. Uh, I was talking with Jeff Curry this morning. He was he was recalling his moment. It was in Ottawa, and he touched the hand of one of the Grey Cup champions, and from that moment on, he was a you know he was hooked for life. That's why you got to have a lot of quantity. You got to keep throwing these wonderful players at the fans because, first of all, as good as they are on the field, these are world class human beings. They love our game and they love the they love the fans. And I think if we just get them some face time, we're going to get a lot of these young kids. Just the way you're describing it, they're going to fall in love with the game. It's Mark's CFL week, March 22nd to 25th, RBC Convention Center. It's the second Mark's CFL week. The first one last year, much to Greg's chagrin, I'm sure, was uh, to the province to the west of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't even say yeah. it. What's a, what's a province, Greg? <laughs> you Saskatch- say it. Saskatchewan. How did it go? Last year, it was a huge success, and you know a lot of credit. Uh, our uh, you know our team at the at the league office. Uh, a special shout out to Christina Litz, who's our you know head of marketing and our chief strategy officer. Christina and a, you know a group of people had this idea of putting a whole bunch of things together. You know, getting uh, the TSN photo shoots for the year done, which we've always done annually, and then you combine that with the the scouting combine, and then you she's what if we do a, a a fan festival as well? And you know, went to Regina last year and was just an overwhelming success, and we're expecting nothing less. In fact, maybe even more here in Winnipeg this week. It's a great idea, and uh, we have to do these things. You have to have a scouting combine. You well, you you got to do what we call this this player car wash, where we do all of the promotional videos for the year. But why not make it a fan uh, festival as well? And again, a big shout out to Christina for pulling it all together. You know, I, I sat on the east side uh, in the student section as a Blue Bomber season ticket holder for several years in the mid-80s and into the early 90s, and you would see relationships form with the opposition players and the fans in the lower role. Sometimes it was ad- animosity. You know all about being on that side of the stadium, Randy, but there was that genuine interplay and back and forth, and so now to have the best players from across the country come to Winnipeg and to have them accessible the way the Blue Bomber players are so active in the community to have them here for a few days, I think gives it that possibility to have uh, people turn on to the other, as you mentioned, the, the other great personalities that there are in this league. Guys that if you wear a blue and gold jersey, uh, maybe despise somewhat when they're on the field. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think getting them off the field is part of it because you see them in a whole different way. If you get a chance, if you know, if you're listening this morning, come out to the CFL week, come out to Mark CFL week, you know, spend a few minutes with Mike Riley and tell me he's not a remarkable person. You know, first of all, you'll probably see an interesting hat or two along the way. But Mike is special. You know, Alex Singleton, these are special people. If you got to just spend a few minutes with them, you'll know in a moment that they're 
they're they're a cut above in so many ways, and I think that's what makes this great. Get them off the field, let their personality shine. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Uh, the commissioner of the CFL is in studio with us. It's Greg Mackling and Brett McGarry, along with the Grey Cup and Randy Ambrosi. Randy, this is uh, uh, quite an honor to have you with us. Amateur football. We were talking about amateur football out before we came uh, back into the studio, and and the relationships that I have from my football playing days permeate, resonate with me to this very day. I haven't touched a football on a competitive field for almost 35 years, but those relationships hold true. That's why, in my mind, amateur football is so critical to the fabric of Canada. It's not what you learn about the sport, it's what you learn about life. Absolutely. And, you know, there's such a strong correlation between uh, playing the game, you know, whether it's at the park with a group of friends or whether it's organized, whether it's flag or whether it's tackle, there's such a strong connection between that and fandom because if you just get this feel for what this game means when you play it, it's just so much easier to relate to what it's like to be on a football field. I, I'm convinced that football is the greatest game in the world, and I say that because show me a game where kids can show up at a park of every size and shape. They can be fast, they can be slow, they can be wide, they can be narrow, they can be tall, they can be short, and a football coach can find a place on a football field for a kid to be a star. Not just to be a player, but to be a star. And you see that on football teams all the time, and that sense of purpose that it creates for kids I think developing our game at the grassroots is a critical part of what we need to do going forward to make our league stronger. We need to make our amateur game grow and be bigger. Well, there's all kinds of stuff for kids to do at Mark's CFL Week this week. It is March 22nd to 25th at the RBC Convention Centre. And you were quoted as saying that, I'm confident that by working together we can ensure this great league reaches its full potential. Let's get to work. Where do you think you are on that front? I think we're at the beginning of the beginning again. You know, we're, this game's got such a rich history. The league has just been such an important part of the country. But I believe we are destined to be bigger and stronger. We are going to have to develop that grassroots part of our game, be more organized around how we develop the grassroots part of the game, and then build from there. Uh, we can be stronger you know, in our communities, our players are so committed to communities. There's so many things that we can do to make the CFL bigger and stronger. But I, I think we're at the beginning and uh, and the sky's the limit. Well, we're going to uh, pause now, update your weather, but uh, tune into Facebook Live and we'll ask the commissioner about the Canadian Football League and their pledge for more than $3 million for amateur football. This announcement this morning, tune into Facebook Live on the 680 CJB Facebook page. Commissioner Ambrosi, thank you for this. Thank you. Great to be here. More than half a million Canadians are currently living with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia, and that number is expected to get worse. A projected increase of 66% to almost a million people in the next 13 years. While it can be de- a devastating time for families affected, a program gaining popularity in Canada and in Manitoba is helping make things just a little bit easier. Global's Kevin Hirschfield joins us now with more. Yeah, thanks, guys. Judy Cranwell remembers when she noticed something wasn't right with her mom, Jerry. Shortly after our dad passed away in uh, early 2013, uh, we noticed that uh, she was having more difficulty with the short-term memory. It was soon determined Jerry was suffering from TIA attacks, otherwise known as mini-strokes, that cause reduced blood flow to the brain. 
These attacks lead to many of the same symptoms as Alzheimer's or dementia. I think it's more tough just to see her frustration because by nature she's a, a very happy and positive person. And uh, sometimes the frustration uh, because she, she knows she should remember or she thinks she should remember something and she doesn't. More than 22,000 Manitobans deal with Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia. A number expected to nearly double to over 40,000 in the next 20 years. You have to be really patient because it's a, it's a disease. It's a, you know something she's dealing with. And uh, so she may repeat herself over and over because she's trying to get things clear in her head. In 2014, Judy and her mom joined Minds in Motion, an eight-week program designed for people with dementia and their family or friends. Participants exercise, play games, socialize, and even sing. Activities all with a common benefit, says program manager Kathy Deal-Sear. It stimulates the brain. So exercise, of course, we start with that because it pushes the blood around, pushes all extremities plus the brain, um, increases endorphins, things like that, gets them up and excited and laughing. Minds in Motion is now expanded to 10 locations across the province. And for Jerry, a challenging time made a little bit easier. I think it's a great program. I really do. I really enjoy it. Yep. Something to look forward to. Yeah, get you out of the house. <laughs> Spending time with her daughter while staying active and keeping her mind in motion. Thanks for this, Kevin. This is a fascinating topic. I know a lot of people consider this the gray wave, what's coming in terms of Alzheimer's. And maybe the the disease that has the most amount of victims in terms of the way it spreads to the family. And of course, not the disease itself, but the effects of the disease that affects everyone around the person uh, suffering with uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, etc. Yeah, and actually it's an interesting stat that the Alzheimer's Society, when we were talking about this story, they gave us a bunch of numbers that 43% of Manitobans actually have a family member or close friend with Alzheimer's or dementia, so it's becoming more common. You're hearing about more people who know someone, whether it's in their family or a friend, who is dealing with that. And the folks here at Minds in Motion, this is designed for folks with early stage symptoms, so they're not at, I guess, they're worse yet. But, uh, I mean, this is just a program that, as they said in the story, uh, they're just trying to keep those symptoms at bay. And it, again, helps with brain stimulation. It helps these people just feel better about themselves. And, I mean, what it has to be a difficult time for them. And we know there's a stigma around this too, right? We had a survey recently that showed close to 50% of Canadians would wa not want others to know that they have Alzheimer's disease if they were suffering with it. Yeah, and I mean, this program, again, you socialize with others who are feeling, who are dealing with the same effects that you have. So socialization, again, a huge component of this program. And when you get to talk to other people about what you're going through, makes you feel just a little bit better. Hey, I'm not dealing with this by myself. So a program that, again, as we said, getting popular now, six spots in Winnipeg, four and other places around the province it's only getting bigger and uh we explained to you why it's just so many great components to this program and the participants seem to be really enjoying it i really appreciate your time on this story kevin thanks for uh in joining us on the morning show today we appreciate it uh, very much greg mackling brett mcgarry with you uh snowflakes are gently coming down outside our studios at cjob maybe doing so where you are should not be a Affecting traffic, though, Brett McGarry? I would imagine not. Yeah, that 
Gently is an apt word. They are really taking their time to <laughs> sort of saunter down to the ground. It's kind of pretty. If it wasn't the first day of spring, it'd be ultra pretty. Yeah, that's 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 the the give and take with winter, right? It's beautiful. Not to to, hard, to pull back bad memories of that snow dump, but as I was driving in that morning, I thought, man, everything looks so pretty, but at the same time, awful because the trees were bending down to the ground. So, yeah, this is a nice. It's a nice sight, but I it w- I would have thought, oh, this is pretty back in. November, December. Yeah, this is kind of our ugly stage, right, for the city of Winnipeg till the sn- all the snow melts. Yeah, as our friend Anthony Fornell calls it, uh, sprinter. That's right. The in between between winter and spring. One, two, three. Three things with Shanley Vidal is what we do every day after Global News at eight o'clock. Shanley is here today with three things that have to do with things in the sky. <laughs> All right. Like snow? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that could be thing number three. Number four is yeah. the, the snow. Winter's trying to get in all it can until 11.15 when uh, we're kicking just, it out. It's just a snow globe <laughs> effect. It's not, it, it, Let's just ignore it for now. Well, it does look kind of pretty. It does look kind of pretty. So good morning, Brett. Good morning, Gray. Good morning, SLV. So for our first thing in the sky, so when you travel, do you ever worry about getting sick? I know I and I know when I came back from my last trip, I was so sick. So here's the thing. Okay, get a window seat when you fly on the plane mm-hmm. and don't leave it until the flight is over. Okay. Okay. Because experts, that's what some experts have actually been saying for years, and it could be the best advice coming out of a new attempt to determine the risk of catching germs on airplanes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the new study sent squads of researchers onto commercial flights to look for viruses (laughs) and observe how and when people came into close contact. And they concluded that people on the aisles get up the most and tend to be more, more, most likely to be near a person spewing infectious droplets of flu or cold virus. The study was funded by Boeing and published by the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. So get the window seat and stay put. That's actually a rule of thumb for me that I generally try and stick to. Of course, on the last trip, I wasn't always able to get that window seat because some of the it was there were three kind of like three rows or three sections because it was such a big plane. So you ended up in the very middle. So I ended up in the middle or else I wouldn't have been able to sit next to my traveling companion. Mm. So So what's the moral of this story? The window seat. The you might get a blood clot, but you won't get a cold. <laughs> I don't know. I need to. I need to stand up when I'm on an aircraft. It's too much. The, the, there, there's the rub for guys that are over five nine, five ten, right? Guys like Brett and I need to get up and stretch our legs a little bit. But I'd like to read this report. I love the language that you pulled from it. <laughs> if that's an example of uh, how they've articulated themselves within this report, it could be very entertaining. Uh, what about number two? Number two. This one is really interesting. University of Toronto Astronomy and Planetary Science. Scientist Alan Jackson. I don't think it's that one. It could be. But it could be. You never know. So Alan Jackson is reporting an asteroid that passed through our inner solar system last October, likely came from a two-star system. I like how they tell us about these things after they happened, right? And this is the first confirmed object in our solar system to originate from elsewhere. Hmm. Jackson and his team believe the 200-meter-long cigar-shaped object was likely ejected from its system as planets formed. It was discovered by a Hawaiian observatory and is called 
Oumuamua, which is Hawaiian for messenger from afar, arriving first, or scout. Ooh, okay. So, Oumuamua. Interesting things in the sky. What's the third interesting thing the in the sky? Third thing, and the third thing is my favorite because it's just so quirky. Okay. A Kansas farmer famous for cow art has gathered around <laughs> 300 of his cattle to say hi to SpaceX orbiting Tesla, the orbiting SpaceX uh, Tesla. You know, the uh, the car and sure. the guy and yeah, the Starman. Dr- and its driver called Starman. So the Wichita Eagle reports that David Klingenberg is best known for using his feed truck to move cattle into shapes before filming them with his drone. In his latest YouTube video, Cow Space Art, Klingenberg explains how he got the photo, proving his cows can be seen from outer space. Come on. I'm going to position my cattle in the light, grassy area of the waterway. I think maybe we'll be able to see it. And Klingenberg gets daily satellite images of his farm from Farmer's Edge. He says he used shadows on the images to find out when the photos would be taken and then moved his cows to spell out the word hi during that time. <laughs> this guy is not doing anything to dispel the myth that, that that farmers and ranchers have too much time on their hands. I'm trying to get through this. <laughs> okay. So I'm sorry. Uh, Klingenberg. Klingenberg has also made farm-themed song parodies, such as trombone ser- uh, such as a trombone serenade of his cattle with Lords Royals. Wow! Oh boy. Guy that, needs another that was hobby. that was very moving. <laughs> Look at that! She did it again. Yeah. Another animal-related pun. Very good, Shanley. You're catching on. <laughs> you're, you're starting to to fit right in I'm with try, this I'm demented bunch that that sit in here four hours a morning. Well done. And good job on Omuamua. I I practiced it. But yeah, Omuamua Omu- counts. Kind of fits in with the cow thing I as know, well. I know. Yep. <laughs> you missed the other dovetail. I, you I know. see, you're good, but you're not. You're not I great was, yet. I know. I was so worried about getting it right. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Shanalee. Three things with Shanalee Vidal heard every day after the eight o'clock news on six eighty CJOB. As you know by now, the Manitoba government has introduced legislation that will see harsher penalties for distracted drivers. And the Conservative government officially introduced a bill yesterday that calls for a three-day license suspension for first-time offenders caught using their phones while driving and a seven-day suspension the second time. So we wanted to learn more about how being distracted can affect your brain. Dr. Gordon Glazner, a good friend of the Health Report, heard here on Sundays on 6 to 80 CJOB, joins us now. A long list of credentials, including Associate Professor uh, for the Department of Pharmacology and Therapeutics at the U of M, and also Principal Investigator for the Division of Neurodegenerative Disorders at St. Boniface Hospital slash Albrechtson Research Center. And uh, Gordon, always great to see you, my friend. Talk about how the brain works when we're doing multiple things. Okay, so first of all, this idea that we can multitask isn't true. The human brain was designed to focus on one thing. And if you think about it, we were out there hunting. When you're hunting and you've got tigers around you, you don't want to be thinking about something else, right? You focus on what you're doing. So nowadays, we have so many things that we can do at the same time. We, we think we can multitask, but what we actually do is we move our brain from one task to another very quickly and then back again. The problem is the efficiency of your thought process is cut about in half when you do that. Uh, there was a study not, not very long ago where they showed that a person working a desk 
has about 11 minutes to work on a task, then they get distracted, then it takes 25 minutes to get your focus back again. So you're talking about in an eight-hour day, they estimate three hours of thinking processes lost by being distracted, right? You're just not used to not focusing on one thing. Are some people better at that, that process of flipping back and forth between tasks? So it's not multitasking as we think of it, but are some people better at it? Like, for example, the, the stereotype is that women are better multitaskers than men. There, there's a lot of evidence that you can switch back and forth between a task and something social, right? I mean, the most important things we did evolutionarily was hunt and be social. Every other social animal is way more violent than we are. I mean, even prairie dogs have 10 times the murder rate humans do because <laughs> we get along. I mean, rabbits, right? You, horrible neighborhood, the rabbits. To one another? Oh, they kill each other at a much higher rate than humans do. Rabbits. Didn't okay? know that. So, so humans cute. have this huge amount of brain for social interaction so that we don't kill each other. We can get along well and still hunt. So you can shift between a task and something social. And you and you in your life have seen this. You can work on something while talking to somebody. But if you try to work on two things at once, or you try to focus on what you're doing socially, you'll just lose it. Completely. But where that falls down, and you know, for me, if you want to know whether or not you're distracted while you're texting, Sit at a table with someone who's texting, trying to do something on an electronic and have a yeah, discussion no with way. them. No the, the, you know they're not getting all the information. They're getting a minuscule amount, in fact. Yeah, texting isn't talking either. And, and even when you talk on the phone, I mean, we're used to, when we talk on the phone, we sort of become distracted from whatever else we're doing. It's not the same as talking to somebody beside you. And you can feel it. Even if you have a no-touch phone, as soon as somebody calls, your mind sort of wanders. And it is hard to keep your, your focus on what you're doing on the road. And the other thing is, and this is a problem for teachers, but a lot bigger problem for somebody driving, is your brain keeps watching what's going on, and it decides whether what you're doing is interesting, impactful, or for your survival. And when you're driving, for some reason, after a few hours, your brain's like, well, this is not important. Let's think about something else. Let's go to sleep. When you're going down the highway 70 miles an hour, you know, you can just lose your focus because your brain just isn't adapted to what we're doing today, right? Well, sometimes, though, I mean, this happens to us all where we get to work and we, re we can't remember the route we took. How did I get to work today? That's the, what do they call that? The, the automatic thinking, yeah. Yeah, the driving trance or whatever. Yeah. Um, so how is that not, how is that, uh, not worse than being distracted by something in your phone where you, to the point where you don't even realize what you may or may not have done on the you road? You don't have to store that information to be distracted. I mean, if you're, if you're driving around every single day, you are changing lanes. You're stopping at the right stoplights. You actually are focused on what you're doing. You're just, not, you're just not storing that information because nothing new is happening. So it doesn't mean that you're distracted or not paying attention. It simply means that while you're doing it, you're not storing the information because your brain says, oh, I do this all the time. I don't need to store it. So you get there and say, well, I don't remember the route. How did I get here? Well, it's okay. You obviously drove well. You didn't run into anything. So you weren't distracted, right? I mean, the thing is that when you're especially driving, because we're so used to it, we're so comfortable with it, we now think that we can be distracted by doing something else because our brain is on task. But it's not. We don't multitask. We cannot look at our phones and drive at the same time. We, what we're actually doing is going back and forth very rapidly. And sometimes you go back and forth in three or four seconds. You guys know what it's like, three or four seconds where you're going 100 kilometers an hour, you're done. You know, I was talking to a guy that did uh, car accidents and said cars are designed for when they collide, somebody's already hit the brakes. You may still be going fast, but you're already hitting the brakes, and the car is now at an angle where the nose is down. That's how they're designed. He said, nowadays, we have people coming in who have run into people, 
full tilt, 100 kilometers an hour without even slowing down because they're looking at their phone. It's something that's never happened in history except for people who literally fall asleep at the wheel. They're looking down, and they don't think they're looking for very long. I only looked at my text for a second, and you get the records. It was six seconds. You just lose focus with what you're doing. Well, even just think about it when you're stopped at a red light, and if you've ever been behind someone who you know is on their phone, how long three or four seconds or five or six seconds can be in terms of how much traffic gets in front of you. Right? And and, uh, try and not move for three or four seconds, even if you're not looking at your phone, you're getting a horn. Okay, big confession, guys. I got stopped for looking at my phone at a stoplight, got a ticket for it. Right when this law was first put in, I stopped at a stoplight, looked at my phone, and then I saw a cop pulling over, looked up, the light was green. It's, and I was like, that was where it scared me. I realized I thought I had just looked down and I'd been looking for a while. I never did it while I was driving. Well, but that's even, some of the justification people use, right? right it's like, well, you know, should it be, yeah, should it be in place when I'm at a traffic light? No, because what will happen is somebody's going to come up, see that green light, then take their eye off you because they assume you're going to look in their rearview mirror. Wham, they hit the back of you because you're still sitting there looking at your phone. So, no, absolutely not. Plus, remember, when you take your focus off one thing to another, it takes a little while for your mind to adjust. I mean, your your brain is a small organ. Some of us smaller than others, right? But it uses a ton of all of your energy. It uses like 30% of your body's energy. It takes a lot of energy to think like that. And it takes a lot of energy to move something from one focus to the other. Dr. Gordon Glazner is with us. And I got to say, he's one of my favorite patriot. Patriot. Wow. Help me. What are you trying to say? Patriated? Patriated Manitobans. Okay. All right. Because right. he's not from here. From Colorado originally, right, yeah, Dr. Right. Glazner? And uh, you kind of chose to come here. He's at the, amongst other places, the uh, Albertson Research Center, does a lot of work on Alzheimer's disease. And it was your grandfather's battle with Alzheimer's that really, really drove you to study the brain and how it works. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that was the impetus to get into the research to begin with. Well, give us that 45-second story. I know you could tell it for an hour, but tell us uh, about that day at the doctor. So I was raised on a cattle ranch. My grandpa was... And I were very, very close because we worked together all the time. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and I thought at the time I was in college, I didn't know what it was. I said, okay, well, what's the treatment? The doctor said, there's nothing. You know, it's something old people get, and I just, that just was not something I could accept, that somebody would just get something because they're old, and that would be the end of it. So I switched what I was working on right then and went into neuroscience. Went into science. I made this comment to you before and your colleague, Dr. Ben Albenzi, about the brain being the fr- final frontier because for as much as we know about outer space, and we know oh, about yeah. even what lives under the ocean, we know so little about how our brains work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, as, as far as we know, that little piece of tissue, three pounds, is by far the most complicated thing in the universe. So anytime anybody brings anything that's possibly supernatural or odd, or, I don't automatically dismiss it just because of the fact that the brain has such a concentration of complexity. We have no idea what the physics will be of something like that. So I just leave it on anything could be possible. So on the subject of distracted driving, um, we just got a text message here, which actually he, he's provided some, some, uh, an illustration, uh, which will help with this. He said, this is from Eve who has sent us a picture of his gear shift in his truck. He says, how come I can eat an apple and shift the 13 gears of my semi, no problem. And some people can't drive a car without crashing. Well, completed. I would, I would think you're shifting and eating an apple at the same time. Where's your third hand at? Yeah, right? that was, that's what I was thinking, Eve. Come on now. Uh, for one thing, when you're shifting gears, a lot of times you're going extremely slow. There's nothing in front of you. 
Um, eating an apple, I wouldn't think, if you had your hand on the wheel, is, is particularly distracting because you don't have to focus that much on it. Uh, same thing with shifting gears. I mean, these are things that you can do pretty much automatically. When we're talking about distraction. We're talking about things that shift the gear of your mind from what you are looking at to something else, not just reaching over and petting your dog. That doesn't require a whole lot of brain power. But I'll give you an example. So it turns out the part of your brain that stops you from moving is also the part that stops you from thinking about whatever you're thinking about. Okay, So the two are linked. A perfect example is you're thinking about something deeply. You're on an elevator. Elevator door opens. You start to step out. And you see somebody's about to get in. You suddenly stop it at the same time you, lo you lost your train of thought. So you have, have lost what you're doing. Sometimes it takes minutes to get it back again. Now, driving doesn't always require you to be so concentrated that you need minutes to get it back. But anything that's going to veer you off your train of mind is going to stop you from concentrating on what you're doing. A lot of driving is automatic. If somebody runs out in front of you, your body will respond automatically, hit the brakes. But a lot of it isn't. I mean, it, it requires you to have your attention at least to some degree on the road, especially city driving, fast driving. You just don't have as much time as you think to, to react to things. Let's go to the listeners one more time. Uh, you guys are making the argument that basically humans shouldn't be driving vehicles because we are always distracted by one thing or another. Bring on self-driving cars. Uh, <laughs> right now, I wouldn't trust the self-driving cars because they just are not thinking apparatuses yet. But it's, it's, it's not true that you are constantly distracted. I mean, I, I realized that when I had my two toddlers, my two babies, my driving got much better because I really focused a lot more on what I was doing. I took less chances, and I became a much better driver. I'm not as distracted as I was. You don't have to be distracted. That's one thing people don't realize. I mean, you're sitting at a desk, and you have your Facebook notifications on, and you have things for your text on while you're trying to do things. You're just finding reasons to be distracted at that point. I mean, these things are going to ding and you're going to look down. And as soon as you look down and read it, you're off track of what you're doing. You know, if you want to get things done, you go in your office, you work in an office, close the door, turn off all notifications and focus on what you're doing. Right. I mean, when this, I used to work as a roofing, as a roofer, and I loved it because you're focusing on what you're doing all day long. You don't have to worry about the distractions. You're doing what you're doing and it's relaxing to the mind. You know, you come home physically tired, but your mind is still fresh. I go in the office and have a hundred different things going on. I come home so distracted I can't play with my kids anymore, even though my body hasn't really burned a whole lot of energy. Yeah, I mean, one of, a lot of the text messages that we've gotten the last 24 to 48 hours, Jeff says, I can't, I can't smoke, I can't eat a chocolate bar, really. All, I'm all for a new cell phone law, but, but make it a cell phone law. He's saying, please stop telling me what I can do. And based on what you're telling us uh, what we've learned today is that a phone will derail your from your because you you have to it's kind of an active thing right where you have to be actively involved in that whereas if i'm mindlessly you know reaching for for a coffee cup or lighting a smoke or whatever it is yeah. uh and i'm not saying you should do that while you're driving but some of these things are a bit more mindless tasks I yeah guess. i mean if is that my is that muscle memory stuff versus it just actual mind tasks? No, your your mind is always going to be involved in what you're doing. It just depends on how much of your focus you have to take off, right? So if you have an open chocolate bar sitting there that's not melting, maybe that you can just grab and stick it. But if you have to unwrap it while you're driving, that that requires attention. It also requires both of your hands, or at least one of your hands and your teeth, while you're trying to do something with either other. You know, this is not a good idea. I would think something like drinking a cup of coffee, you can reach down, you don't have to look, take the cup of coffee and put it down. But for example, if I'm in a, in a car with somebody who's driving on the highway and they're messing with the radio, 
I don't like that because that's completely distracted. They're looking at the radio. They're dialing the little thing. They're not paying attention to the road, right? It's the kind of thing where voice-activated stuff is getting a lot better because then you don't actually take your, your hands off. What about voice uh, voice texting when you're in the car and you get a text message and it starts reading it to you? Or I don't know how that works. Uh, does your uh, your it, it new can. automobile? It can, okay. but uh, as I as you've noticed, I've shut off on my phone. I can't get text messages while I'm driving anymore. I found this feature on my iPhone. I activated on Friday, and I'll never go back. I'll never go back. It, it sends an automatic message. Uh, the phone knows when I'm when my car yep. is in motion. It says I'm driving right now. I'll get back to you when I get to my yeah, destination. Absolutely. And it has an override of something like an emergency, right? Correct. Right. I mean, they've shown when they've done brain scans of people, when you are talking to somebody sitting beside you in the car, it takes a lot less of your attention away from driving than if you're talking to somebody on the phone. And we don't know why. Maybe it's just because we have been trained outside of driving that when you answer the phone, you pay attention to the phone, where we haven't been trained that when a person is standing there. We're, we're used to doing a lot of other things when somebody's standing beside you. But usually when we're talking on the phone, we don't do other things. So it may be that we're trained like that so that when the phone call comes in and you're in the car, you sort of space out to talk to them on the phone. Dr. Glazner, thank you so much for the insight today. We appreciate it. Dr. Gordon Glazner is an associate professor for Department of Pharmacology and Therapeutics at the University of Manitoba and principal investigator for the Division of Neurodegenerative Disorders at St. Boniface Hospital, Albuquerque Research Center. The theme for Boston Legal, one of the great legal television shows. Well done, Behind the Glass Jerry. And he's playing that music because tougher penalties for distracted drivers are coming to Manitoba. Infrastructure Minister Ron Schuler will be uh, presenting a bill, well he did that yesterday, that will have drivers caught on their phones, pulled off the road. The first infraction would see a three-day license suspension, you know all this stuff by now. Any subsequent offenses would have offenders licenses pulled for a full week. Question, is it fair slash legal for police to suspend your license on the spot? We've reached out to the Criminal Defense Lawyers Association of Manitoba to hear what they have to say. Scott Newman joins us now on 680 CGOB. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. You're playing Boston Legal. Why not Smokey and the Bandit? <laughs> yeah, Smokey and the Bandit. Would be, in fact, they just came out with an updated version of the Smokey and the Bandit, uh, uh, the Bandit version Trans Am. It is really, really cool. Anyway, we digress as we, we often do on this program. We go off the rails, Scott. Uh, it sounds as though uh, you'd be welcome in the studio to hang out with us anytime. Uh, talk about the, the concerns from a legal standpoint. We had this discussion in our newsroom yesterday, and, and someone said, you know, oh, this is just like drinking and driving where you can lose your you know you can lose your license on the spot I said hold the phone here because you have roadside testing that can be done either with a breathalyzer or you have sobriety tests that have made it through the courts that have been have been approved by the court systems and the legal systems to say yes this is a reasonable way to ascertain whether or not someone's been drinking what say you Scott Newman well, I think you're exactly right, and uh, part of the reason is, goes right back to what your first point was, which is this has really been a moving target. When when the discussion came out, it broke on Friday. Uh, there was discussion that you're going to have your car towed, uh, and, and the immediate question from my perspective is, well, you're going to be towing thousands of cars. Do you have the infrastructure in place to deal with this? Uh, where are you going to put all these cars? Are we going to have some way that you can go get your car back after three days? 
Uh, and the other thing is that the first, when they first started talking about this, if you're eating a sandwich, you're going to lose your car. If you're reading a book or putting it on your makeup, all worthy goals, but that's quite a big expansion over what we already have. So by Monday, by the time we come back on Monday, now the word is it's only if you have the phone in your hand and a police officer sees you with the phone in your hand and there'll be no towing, you'll get to drive for the rest of the day and your suspension kicks in at midnight. So at least there's been some some further clarification, but it sort of begs the question, well, what kind of planning is going into this? When when you're within three days, you're completely backtracking and changing the law. Is it even really written? Uh, what kind of thought has gone into this before uh, you're making this proposal to the public? So what's the, you know, with drunk driving, if an officer performs a breathalyzer on you, that's fairly empirical proof that you're drunk. But in this kind of an instance, uh, what's to stop you as a driver who gets pulled over? Uh, officer says, I saw you with your phone, and you say, no, you didn't. Well, that's that's exactly right. I mean, we've seen tickets for distracted driving thrown out where people say, I don't own a phone or I don't have a phone in the car. Go ahead, search my car. I don't have one on me. So it, it, you're quite right that when you're using a scientific instrument or, or a roadside breathalyzer, you know, and, and this is exactly being treated very similarly to impaired driving, and, and the studies all seem to indicate this is very dangerous, and it is equally as dangerous as impaired driving, but just because the the effect is equally dangerous doesn't mean that the way that you deal with the problem should also be dealt with in necessarily exactly the same fashion. Uh, you, it, the um, the way the legislation for impaired driving is is if you're over point zero eight, you're you're arrested, your car is impounded, you're taken to the police station, uh, and all of those criminal consequences flow. If you're between point oh five and point oh eight, that's a warn. And you uh, you have your car impounded, your car is towed, uh, and you get a 72-hour roadside suspension. Because, of course, you don't want somebody who's blowing a warrant to drive home and have their, their suspension kick in at midnight. Uh, in this case, uh, like I say, uh, these are serious consequences based on a police officer's belief that you were talking on your phone. There's no judicial recourse. I can't go to court and say, well, I, that's not true, that didn't happen. And then you start talking about second offenses, and then the second offense is seven days. Well, what if I say, well, I never did the first one? What's my recourse to, to challenge that finding? Uh, even if I'm in a car accident with MPI and I'm found 50% at fault, I can go to court and say, well, I was, I'm 0% at fault. I got rear-ended. Uh, so where is that ability for me to clear my name, as it were? And, of course, the concern is you're imposing the punishment before there's been a finding of guilt. Scott Newman is with the Criminal Defense Lawyers Association of Manitoba, joining us live now, live conversation. And you are weighing in as listeners right now, and we appreciate that, 780-6868. And uh, Janelle brought up a really good point here. I won't read her entire text. She refuse, refer, refers to the idea of there's a difference between distracted driving and some of the things that we do while driving. But she says, uh, this is really pushing the envelope when it comes to being protected from Unreal search and seizure. Does does that have any concern for you, Scott, that now all of a sudden it opens the door for conversations about here, look at my phone, here, come into my vehicle. Could this have some unintended consequences? Well, I mean, when, you, when you're dealing with something like this, it's usually under uh, plain view. So there's something called the plain view doctrine, which is you're not really protected from search and seizure if you're doing it in broad daylight in the middle of the street. 
So you're driving down the street, and the police officer says, well, I saw you on your phone. You're doing it in the middle of the day. Through I can see it through your window. I mean, it, 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 the interesting thing about it is is when something like this happens, usually the reaction from the person who's accused is, come search my car. I want you to go through here. You're going to see... I don't have a phone on me, or I don't have it, or here, i got to open up my phone and show you I haven't made any phone calls. How could I have been on You said I'm on my phone, and have a look. I haven't made any calls in the last five or ten minutes. So that's a very interesting thing. I don't think there's constitutional protection, but if we're concerned about the government not and the, the police not looking at our phones, we're almost put in a position where we have to show them our items to prove, look, officer, I'm at the side of the road, and I haven't made any phone calls. Scott, you bring up some very good points. This uh, continues to be a moving target, and I suspect until we see the actual proposed legislation in writing, uh, those questions will persist, and at that point we'll have more questions for you. We appreciate the access. No problem. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Scott Newman is spokesperson for the Criminal Defense Lawyers Association of Manitoba on this proposed distracted driving law. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shannon Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And then-